Section 11 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola. Translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 6, Part 1. Pierre had been in Rome for a fortnight, and yet the affair of his book was no nearer solution. He was still possessed by an ardent desire to see the Pope, but could in no wise tell how to satisfy it. So frequent were the delays, and so greatly had he been frightened by Monsignor Nani's predictions of the dire consequences which might attend any imprudent action. And so, foreseeing a prolonged sojourn, he at last betook himself to the vicariate in order that his calibrate might be stamped and afterwards said his mass each morning at the church of santa brigida where he received a kindly greeting from abbe pisoni benedetta's former confessor one monday evening he resolved to repair early to donna serafina's customary reception in the hope of learning some news and expediting his affairs perhaps monsignor nani would look in perhaps he might be lucky enough to come across some cardinal or domestic prelate willing to help him it was in vain that he had tried to extract any positive information from don vigilio for after a short spell of affability and willingness cardinal pio's secretary had relapsed into distrust and fear and avoided pierre as if he were resolved not to meddle in a business which all considered was decidedly suspicious and dangerous moreover for a couple of days past a violent attack of fever had compelled him to keep his room thus the only person to whom pierre could turn for comfort was victorine bosquet the old beauceron's servant who had been promoted to the rank of housekeeper and who still retained a french heart after thirty years residence in rome she often spoke to the young priest of Honneau, her native place as if she had left it only the previous day but on that particular monday even she had lost her wonted gay vivacity and when she heard that he meant to go down in the evening to see the ladies she wagged her head significantly ah he won't find them very cheerful said she my poor benedetta is greatly worried her divorce suit is not progressing at all well all rome indeed was again talking of this affair an extraordinary revival of tittle-tattle had set both white and black worlds agog and so there was no need for reticence on victorine's part especially in conversing with a compatriot it appeared then that in reply to advocate morano's memoir setting forth that the marriage had not been consummated there had come another memoir a terrible one emanating from monsignor palma a doctor in theology whom the congregation of the council had selected to defend the marriage as a first point monsignor palma flatly disputed the alleged non-consummation questioned the certificate put forward on benedetta's behalf and quoted instances recorded in scientific textbooks which showed how deceptive appearances often were he strongly insisted moreover on the narrative which count prada supplied in another memoir a narrative well calculated to inspire doubt and further he so turned and twisted the evidence of benedetta's own maid as to make that evidence also serve against her finally he argued in a decisive way that even supposing the marriage had not been consummated this could only be ascribed to the resistance of the countess who had thus set at defiance one of the elementary laws of married life which was that a wife owed obedience to her husband next had come a fourth memoir drawn up by the reporter of the congregation who analysed and discussed the three others and subsequently the congregation itself had dealt with the matter opining in favour of the dissolution of the marriage by a majority of one vote such a bare majority indeed that monsignor palma exercising his rights 
had hastened to demand further inquiry a course which brought the whole procedure again into question and rendered a fresh vote necessary ah the poor contessina exclaimed victorine she'll surely die of grief for calm as she may seem there's an inward fire consuming her it seems that monsignor palma is the master of the situation and can make the affair drag on as long as he likes and then a deal of money has already been spent and one will have to spend a lot more abbe pisoni whom you know was very badly inspired when he helped on that marriage and though i certainly don't want to soil the memory of my good mistress countess ernesta who was a real saint it's none the less true that she wrecked her daughter's life when she gave her to count prada the housekeeper paused then impelled by an instinctive sense of justice she resumed it's only natural that count prada should be annoyed for he's really being made a fool of and for my part as there is no end to all the fuss and this divorce is so hard to obtain i really don't see why the contessina shouldn't live with her dario without troubling any further haven't they loved one another ever since they were children aren't they both young and handsome and wouldn't they be happy together whatever the world might say happiness mon dieu one finds it so seldom that one can't afford to let it pass then seeing how greatly surprised pierre was at hearing such language she began to laugh with the quiet composure of one belonging to the humble classes of france whose only desire is a quiet and happy life irrespective of matrimonial ties next in more discreet language she proceeded to lament another worry which had fallen on the household another result of the divorce affair a rupture had come about between donna seraphina and advocate morano who was very displeased with the ill success of his memoir to the congregation and accused father lorenza the confessor of the bocanera ladies of having urged them into a deplorable lawsuit whose only fruit could be a wretched scandal affecting everybody and so great had been morano's annoyance that he had not returned to the bocanera mansion but had severed a connection of thirty years standing to the stupefaction of all the roman drawing-rooms which altogether disapproved of his conduct donna seraphina was for her part the more grieved as she suspected the advocate of having purposely picked the quarrel in order to secure an excuse for leaving her his real motive in her estimation being a sudden disgraceful passion for a young and intriguing woman of the middle classes that monday evening when pierre entered the drawing-room hung with a yellow brocatelle of a flowery louis the fourteenth pattern he at once realized that melancholy reigned in the dim light radiating from the lace-veiled lamps benedetta and celia seated on a sofa were chatting with dario whilst cardinal sarno ensconced in an armchair listened to the ceaseless chatter of the old relative who conducted the little princess to each monday gathering and the only other person present was donna seraphina seated all alone in her wonted place on the right-hand side of the chimney-piece and consumed with secret rage at seeing the chair on the left-hand side unoccupied that chair which morano had always taken during the thirty years that he had been faithful to her pierre noticed with what anxious and then despairing eyes she observed his entrance her glance ever straying towards the door as though she even yet hoped for the fickle one's return with all her bearing was erect and proud she seemed to be more tightly laced than ever and there was all the wonted haughtiness on her hard-featured face with its jet-black eyebrows and snowy hair pierre had no sooner paid his respects to her than he allowed his own worry to appear by inquiring whether they would not have the pleasure of seeing monsignor nani that evening and thereupon donna seraphina could not refrain from answering oh monsignor nani is forsaking us like the others people always take themselves off when they can be of service 
she harboured a spite against the prelate for having done so little to further the divorce in spite of his many promises beneath his outward show of extreme willingness and caressing affability he doubtless concealed some scheme of his own which he was tenaciously pursuing however donna seraphina promptly regretted the confession which anger had wrung from her and resumed after all he will perhaps come he is so good-natured and so fond of us in spite of the vivacity of her temperament she really wished to act diplomatically so as to overcome the bad luck which had recently set in her brother the cardinal had told her how irritated he was by the attitude of the congregation of the council he had little doubt that the frigid reception accorded to his niece's suit had been due in part to the desire of some of his brother cardinals to be disagreeable to him personally he desired the divorce as it seemed to him the only means of ensuring the perpetuation of the family for dario obstinately refused to marry any other woman than his cousin and thus there was an accumulation of disasters the cardinal was wounded in his pride his sister shared his sufferings and on her own side was stricken in the heart whilst both lovers were plunged in despair at finding their hopes yet again deferred as pierre approached the sofa where the young folks were chatting he found that they were speaking of the catastrophe why should you be so despondent asked Celia in an undertone after all there was a majority of a vote in favour of annulling the marriage your suit hasn't been rejected there is only a delay but benedetta shook her head no no if monsignor palma proves obstinate his holiness will never consent it's all over ah if one were only rich very rich murmured dario with such an air of conviction that no one smiled and turning to his cousin he added in a whisper i must really have a talk with you we cannot go on living like this in a breath she responded yes you are right come down to-morrow evening at five i will be here alone then dreariness set in the evening seemed to have no end pierre was greatly touched by the evident despair of benedetta who as a rule was so calm and sensible the deep eyes which illumined her pure delicate infantile face were now blurred as by restrained tears he had already formed a sincere affection for her pleased as he was with her equable if somewhat indolent disposition the semblance of discreet good sense with which she veiled her soul of fire that monday even she certainly tried to smile while listening to the pretty secrets confided to her by celia whose love affairs were prospering far more than her own there was only one brief interval of general conversation and that was brought about by the little princess's aunt who suddenly raising her voice began to speak of the infamous manner in which the italian newspapers referred to the holy father never indeed had there been so much bad feeling between the vatican and the quirinal cardinal sarno felt so strongly on the subject that he departed from his wonted silence to announce that on the occasion of the sacrilegious festivities of the twentieth of september celebrating the capture of rome the pope intended to cast a fresh letter of protest in the face of all the christian powers whose indifference proved their complicity in the odious spoliation of the church yes indeed what folly to try and marry the pope and the king bitterly exclaimed donna seraphina alluding to her niece's deplorable marriage the old maid now seemed quite beside herself it was already so late that neither monsignor nani nor anybody else was expected however at the unhoped-for sound of footsteps her eyes again brightened and turned feverishly towards the door but it was only to encounter a final disappointment the visitor proved to be narcisse Abert, 
who stepped up to her apologizing for making so late a call it was cardinal sarno his uncle by marriage who had introduced him into this exclusive salon where he had received a cordial reception on account of his religious views which were said to be most uncompromising if however despite the lateness of the hour he had ventured to call there that evening it was solely on account of pierre whom he at once drew on one side i felt sure i should find you here he said just now i managed to see my cousin monsignor gamba del zoppo and i have some good news for you he will see us tomorrow at about eleven in his rooms at the vatican then lowering his voice i think he will endeavour to conduct you to the holy father briefly the audience seems to me assured pierre was greatly delighted by this promised certainty which came to him so suddenly in that dreary drawing-room where for a couple of hours he had been gradually sinking into despair so at last a solution was at hand meantime narcisse after shaking hands with dario and bowing to benedetta and celia approached his uncle the cardinal who having rid himself of the old relation made up his mind to talk but his conversation was confined to the state of his health and the weather and sundry insignificant anecdotes which he had lately heard not a word escaped him respecting the thousand complicated matters with which he dealt at the propaganda it was as though once outside his office he plunged into the commonplace and the unimportant by way of resting from the anxious task of governing the world and after he had spoken for a time every one got up and the visitors took leave don't forget narcisse repeated to pierre you will find me at the sixteen chapel tomorrow at ten and i will show you the botticellis before we go to our appointment at half-past nine on the following morning pierre who had come on foot was already on the spacious piazza of st peter's and before turning to the right towards the bronze gate near one corner of bernini's colonnade he raised his eyes and lingered gazing at the vatican nothing to his mind could be less monumental than the jumble of buildings which without semblance of architectural order or regularity of any kind had grown up in the shadow cast by the dome of the basilica roofs rose one above the other and broad flat walls stretched out chancewise just as wings and stories had been added the only symmetry observable above the colonnade was that of the three sides of the court of san damaso where the lofty glasswork which now encloses the old logier sparkled in the sun between the ruddy columns and pilasters suggesting as it were three huge conservatories and this was the most beautiful palace in the world the largest of all palaces comprising no fewer than eleven thousand apartments and containing the most admirable masterpieces of human genius but pierre disillusioned as he was had eyes only for the lofty facade on the right overlooking the piazza for he knew that the second-floor windows there were those of the pope's private apartments and he contemplated those windows for a long time and remembered having been told that the fifth one on the right was that of the pope's bedroom and that a lamp could always be seen burning there far into the night what was there too behind that gate of bronze which he saw before him that sacred portal by which all the kingdoms of the world communicated with the kingdom of heaven whose august vicar had secluded himself behind those lofty silent walls from where he stood pierre gazed on that gate with its metal panels studded with large square-headed nails and wondered what it defended what it concealed what it shut off from the view with its stern forbidding air recalling that of the gate of some ancient fortress what kind of world would he find behind it what treasures of human charity jealously preserved in yonder gloom 
what revivifying hope for the new nations hungering for fraternity and justice he took pleasure in fancying in picturing the one holy pastor of humanity ever watching in the depths of that closed palace and while the nations strayed into hatred preparing all for the final reign of jesus and at last proclaiming the advent of that reign by transforming our democracies into the one great christian community promised by the saviour assuredly the world's future was being prepared behind that bronze portal assuredly it was that future which would issue forth but all at once pierre was amazed to find himself face to face with monsignor nani who had just left the vatican on his way to the neighbouring palace of the inquisition where as assessor he had his residence ah monseigneur said pierre i am very pleased my friend monsieur Abert is going to present me to his cousin monsignor gamba del zoppo and i think i shall obtain the audience i so greatly desire monsignor nani smiled with his usual amiable yet keen expression yes yes i know but correcting himself as it were he added i share your satisfaction my dear son only you must be prudent and then as if fearing that the young priest might have understood by his first words that he had just seen monsignor gamba the most easily terrified prelate of the whole prudent pontifical family he related that he had been running about since an early hour on behalf of two french ladies who likewise were dying of a desire to see the pope however he greatly feared that the help he was giving them would not prove successful i will confess to you monseigneur replied pierre that i myself was getting very discouraged yes it is high time i should find a little comfort for my sojourn here is hardly calculated to brace my soul he went on in this strain allowing it to be seen that the sights of rome were finally destroying his faith such days as those which he had spent on the palatine and along the appian way in the catacombs and at st peter's grievously disturbed him spoilt his dream of christianity rejuvenated and triumphant he emerged from them full of doubt and growing lassitude having already lost much of his usually rebellious enthusiasm still smiling monsignor nani listened and nodded approvingly yes no doubt that was the fatal result he seemed to have foreseen it and to be well satisfied thereat at all events my dear son said he everything is going on well since you are now certain that you will see his holiness that is true monseigneur i have placed my only hope in the very just and perspicacious leo thirteen he alone can judge me since he alone can recognize in my book his own ideas which i think i have very faithfully set forth ah if he be willing he will in jesus's name and by democracy and science save this old world of ours pierre's enthusiasm was returning again and nani smiling more and more affably with his piercing eyes and thin lips again expressed approval certainly quite so my dear son you will speak to him you will see then as they both raised their heads and looked towards the vatican nani carried his amiability so far as to undeceive pierre with respect to the pope's bedroom no the window where a light was seen every evening was simply that of a landing where the gas was kept burning almost all night the window of his holiness's bedchamber was the second one farther on then both relapsed into silence equally grave as they continued to gaze at the façade well till we meet again my dear son said nani at last you will tell me of your interview i hope as soon as pierre was alone he went in by the bronze portal his heart beating violently as if he were entering some redoubtable sanctuary where the future happiness of mankind was elaborated a sentry was on duty there a swiss guard 
who walked slowly up and down in a grey-blue cloak below which one only caught a glimpse of his baggy red black and yellow breeches and it seemed as if that cloak of sober hue were purposely cast over a disguise in order to conceal its strangeness which had become irksome then on the right hand came the covered stairway conducting to the court of san damaso but to reach the sixteen chapel it was necessary to follow a long gallery with columns on either hand and ascend the royal staircase the scala regia and in this realm of the gigantic where every dimension is exaggerated and replete with overpowering majesty pierre's breath came short as he ascended the broad steps he was much surprised on entering the sixteen chapel for it at first seemed to him small a sort of rectangular and lofty hall with a delicate screen of white marble separating the part where guests congregate on the occasion of great ceremonies from the choir where the cardinals sit on simple oaken benches while the inferior prelates remain standing behind them on a low platform to the right of the soberly adorned altar is the pontifical throne while in the wall on the left opens the narrow singing gallery with its balcony of marble and for everything suddenly to spread out and soar into the infinite one must raise one's head allow one's eyes to ascend from the huge fresco of the last judgment occupying the whole of the end wall to the paintings which cover the vaulted ceiling down to the cornice extending between the twelve windows of white glass six on either hand fortunately there were only three or four quiet tourists there and pierre at once perceived narcisse Abert occupying one of the cardinal's seats above the steps where the train-bearers crouch motionless and with his head somewhat thrown back the young man seemed to be in ecstasy but it was not the work of michelangelo that he thus contemplated his eyes never strayed from one of the earlier frescoes below the cornice and on recognizing the priest he contented himself with murmuring ah my friend just look at the botticelli then with dreamy eyes he relapsed into a state of rapture pierre for his part had received a great shock both in heart and in mind overpowered as he was by the superhuman genius of michelangelo the rest vanished there only remained up yonder as in a limitless heaven the extraordinary creations of the master's art that which at first surprised one was that the painter should have been the sole artisan of the mighty work no marble cutters no bronze workers no gilders no one of another calling had intervened the painter with his brush had sufficed for all for the pilasters columns and cornices of marble for the statues and the ornaments of bronze for the fleurons and roses of gold for the whole of the wondrously rich decorative work which surrounded the frescoes and pierre imagined michelangelo on the day when the bare vault was handed over to him covered with plaster offering only a flat white surface hundreds of square yards to be adorned and he pictured him face to face with that huge white page refusing all help driving all inquisitive folks away jealously violently shutting himself up alone with his gigantic task spending four and a half years in fierce solitude and day by day adding to his colossal work of creation ah that mighty work a task to fill the whole lifetime a task which he must have begun with quiet confidence in his own will and power drawing as it were an entire world from his brain and flinging it there with the ceaseless flow of creative virility in the full heyday of its omnipotence and pierre was yet more overcome when he began to examine these presentiments of humanity magnified as by the eyes of a visionary overflowing in mighty sympathetic pages of cyclopean symbolization royal grace and nobility sovereign peacefulness and power 
every beauty shone out like natural fluorescence and there was perfect science the most audacious foreshortening risked with the certainty of success an everlasting triumph of technique over the difficulty which an arched surface presented and in particular there was wonderful simplicity of medium matter was reduced almost to nothingness a few colours were used broadly without any studied search for effect or brilliancy yet that sufficed the blood seethed freely the muscles projected the figures became animated and stood out of their frames with such energy and dash that it seemed as if a flame were flashing by aloft endowing all those beings with superhuman and immortal life life ay it was life which burst forth and triumphed mighty swarming life miraculous life the creation of one sole hand possessed of the supreme gift simplicity blended with power that a philosophical system a record of the whole of human destiny should have been found therein with the creation of the world of man and of woman the fall the chastisement then the redemption and finally god's judgment on the last day this was a matter on which pierre was unable to dwell at this first visit in the wandering stupor into which the paintings threw him but he could not help noticing how the human body its beauty its power and its grace were exalted ah that regal jehovah at once terrible and paternal carried off amid the whirlwind of his creation his arms outstretched and giving birth to worlds and that superb and nobly outlined adam with extended hand whom jehovah though he touch him not animates with his finger a wondrous and admirable gesture leaving a sacred space between the finger of the creator and that of the created a tiny space in which nevertheless abides all the infinite of the invisible and the mysterious and then that powerful yet adorable eve that eve with the sturdy flanks fit for the bearing of humanity that eve with the proud tender grace of a woman bent on being loved even to perdition that eve embodying the whole of woman with her fecundity her seductiveness her empire moreover even the decorative figures of the pilasters at the corners of the frescoes celebrate the triumph of the flesh there are the twenty young men radiant in their nakedness with incomparable splendour of torso and of limb and such intensity of life that a craze for motion seems to carry them off bend them throw them over in superb attitudes and between the windows are the giants the prophets and the sibyls man and woman deified with inordinate wealth of muscle and grandeur of intellectual expression there is jeremiah with his elbow resting on his knee and his chin on his hand plunged as he is in reflection in the very depths of his visions and his dreams there is the sibylla erythrea so pure of profile so young despite the opulence of her form and with one finger resting on the open book of destiny there is isaiah with the thick lips of truth virile and haughty his head half turned and his hand raised with a gesture of command there is the sibylla cumea terrifying with her science and her old age her wrinkled countenance her vulture's nose her square protruding chin there is jonah cast forth by the whale and wondrously foreshortened his torso twisted his arms bent his head thrown back and his mouth agape and shouting and there are the others all of the same full-blown majestic family reigning with the sovereignty of eternal health and intelligence and typifying the dream of a broader loftier and indestructible humanity moreover in the lunettes and the arches over the windows other figures of grace power and beauty appear and throng the ancestors of the christ thoughtful mothers with lovely nude infants men with wandering eyes peering into the future 
representatives of the punished weary race longing for the promised redeemer while in the pendentives of the four corners various biblical episodes the victories of israel over the spirit of evil spring into life and finally there is the gigantic fresco at the far end the last judgment with its swarming multitude so numerous that days and days are needed to see each figure aright a distracted crowd full of the hot breath of life from the dead rising in response to the furious trumpeting of the angels from the fearsome groups of the damned whom the demons fling into hell even to jesus the justicia surrounded by the saints and apostles and to the radiant concourse of the blessed who ascend upheld by angels whilst higher and still higher other angels bearing the instruments of the passion triumph as in full glory and yet above this gigantic composition painted thirty years subsequently in the full ripeness of age the ceiling retains its ethereality its unquestionable superiority for on it the artist bestowed all his virgin power his whole youth the first great flare of his genius and pierre found but one word to express his feelings michelangelo was the monster dominating and crushing all others beneath his immense achievement you had only to glance at the works of perugino pinturicchio roselli signorelli and botticelli those earlier frescoes admirable in their way which below the corners spread out around the chapel narcisse for his part had not raised his eyes to the overpowering splendour of the ceiling wrapped in ecstasy he did not allow his gaze to stray from one of the three frescoes of botticelli ah botticelli he at last murmured in him you have the elegance and the grace of the mysterious a profound feeling of sadness even in the midst of voluptuousness a divination of the whole modern soul with the most troublous charm that ever attended artists work pierre glanced at him in amazement and then ventured to inquire you come here to see the botticellis yes certainly the young man quietly replied i only come here for him and five hours every week i only look at his work there just study that fresco moses and the daughters of jethro isn't it the most penetrating work that human tenderness and melancholy have produced then with a faint devout quiver in his voice and the air of a priest initiating another into the delightful but perturbing atmosphere of a sanctuary he went on repeating the praises of botticelli's art his women with long sensual yet candid faces supple bearing and rounded forms showing from under light drapery his young men his angels of doubtful sex blending stateliness of muscle with infinite delicacy of outline next to the mouths he painted fleshy fruit-like mouths at times suggesting irony at others pain and often so enigmatical with their sinuous curves that one knew not whether the words they left unuttered were words of purity or filth then too the eyes which he bestowed on his figures eyes of languor and passion of carnal or mystical rapture their joy at times so instinct with grief as they peer into the nihility of human things that no eyes in the world could be more impenetrable and finally there were botticelli's hands so carefully and delicately painted so full of life wantoning so to say in a free atmosphere now joining caressing and even as it were speaking the whole evincing such intense solicitude for gracefulness that at times there seems to be undue mannerism though every hand has its particular expression each varying expression of the enjoyment or pain which the sense of touch can bring and yet there was nothing effeminate or false about the painter's work on all sides a sort of virile pride was apparent an atmosphere of superb passionate motion absolute concern for truth direct study from life 
conscientiousness veritable realism corrected and elevated by a genial strangeness of feeling and character that imparted a never-to-be-forgotten charm even to ugliness itself pierre's stupefaction however increased as he listened to narcisse whose somewhat studied elegance whose curly hair cut in the florentine fashion and whose blue mauvish eyes paling with enthusiasm he now for the first time remarked botticelli he at last said was no doubt a marvellous artist only it seems to me that here at any rate michelangelo but narcisse interrupted him almost with violence no no don't talk of him he spoilt everything ruined everything a man who harnessed himself to his work like an ox who laboured at his task like a navvy at the rate of so many square yards a day and a man too with no sense of the mysterious and the unknown who saw everything so huge as to disgust one with beauty painting girls like the trunks of oak trees women like giant butchers with heaps and heaps of stupid flesh and never a gleam of a divine or infernal soul he was a mason a colossal mason if you like but he was nothing more weary modern that narcisse was spoilt by the pursuit of the original and the rare he thus unconsciously gave rein to his fated hate of health and power that michelangelo who brought forth without an effort who had left behind him the most prodigious of all artistic creations was the enemy and his crime precisely was that he had created life produced life in such excess that all the petty creations of others even the most delightful among them vanished in presence of the overflowing torrent of human beings flung there all alive in the sunlight well for my part pierre courageously declared i'm not of your opinion i now realize that life is everything in art that real immortality belongs only to those who create the case of michelangelo seems to me decisive for he is the superhuman master the monster who overwhelms all others precisely because he brought forth that magnificent living flesh which offends your sense of delicacy those who are inclined to the curious those who have minds of a pretty turn whose intellects are ever seeking to penetrate things may try to improve on the equivocal and invisible and set all the charm of art in some elaborate stroke or symbolization but none the less michelangelo remains the all-powerful the maker of men the master of clearness simplicity and health at this narcisse smiled with indulgent and courteous disdain and he anticipated further argument by remarking it's already eleven my cousin was to have sent a servant here as soon as he could receive us i am surprised to have seen nobody as yet shall we go up to see the stanze of raffaelli while we wait once in the rooms above he showed himself perfect both lucid in his remarks and just in his appreciations having recovered all his easy intelligence as soon as he was no longer upset by his hatred of colossal labour and cheerful decoration it was unfortunate that pierre should have first visited the sixteen chapel for it was necessary he should forget what he had just seen and accustom himself to what he now beheld in order to enjoy its pure beauty it was as if some potent wine had confused him and prevented any immediate relish of a lighter vintage of delicate fragrance admiration did not here fall upon one with lightning speed it was slowly irresistibly that one grew charmed and the contrast was like that of racine beside corneille lamartine beside hugo the eternal pair the masculine and feminine genius coupled through centuries of glory with raffaele it is nobility grace exquisiteness and correctness of line and divineness of harmony that triumph you do not find in him merely the materialist symbolism so superbly thrown off by michelangelo 
he introduces psychological analysis of deep penetration into the painter's art man is shown more purified idealized one sees more of that which is within him and though one may be in presence of an artist of sentimental bent a feminine genius whose quiver of tenderness one can feel it is also certain that admirable firmness of workmanship confronts one that the whole is very strong and very great pierre gradually yielded to such sovereign masterliness such virile elegance such a vision of supreme beauty set in supreme perfection but if the dispute on the sacrament and the so-called school of athens both prior to the paintings of the sixteen chapel seemed to him to be raphael's masterpieces he felt that in the burning of the borgo and particularly in the expulsion of heliodorus from the temple and popes and leo staying attila at the gates of rome the artist had lost the flower of his divine grace through the deep impression which the overwhelming grandeur of michelangelo had wrought upon him how crushing indeed had been the blow when the sixteen chapel was thrown open and the rivals entered the creations of the monster then appeared and the greatest of the humanizers lost some of his soul at the sight of them thenceforward unable to rid himself of their influence from the stanze narcisse took pierre to the logier those glazed galleries which are so high and so delicately decorated but here you only find work which pupils executed after designs left by raffaele at his death the fall was sudden and complete and never had pierre better understood that genius is everything that when it disappears the school collapses the man of genius sums up his period at a given hour he throws forth all the sap of the social soil which afterwards remains exhausted often for centuries so pierre became more particularly interested in the fine view that the logier afford and all at once he noticed that the papal apartments were in front of him just across the court of san damaso this court with its porticus fountain and white pavement had an aspect of empty airy sunlit solemnity which surprised him there was none of the gloom or pent-up religious mystery that he had dreamt of with his mind full of the surroundings of the old northern cathedrals right and left of the steps conducting to the rooms of the pope and the cardinal secretary of state four or five carriages were ranged the coachmen stiffly erect and the horses motionless in the brilliant light and nothing else peopled that vast square desert of a court which with its bareness gilded by the coruscations of its glasswork and the ruddiness of its stones suggested a pagan temple dedicated to the sun but what more particularly struck pierre was the splendid panorama of rome for he had not hitherto imagined that the pope from his windows could thus behold the entire city spread out before him as if he merely had to stretch forth his hand to make it his own once more while pierre contemplated the scene a sound of voices caused him to turn and he perceived a servant in black livery who after repeating a message to narcisse was retiring with a deep bow looking much annoyed the attache approached the young priest monsignor gamba del zoppo said he has sent word that he can't see us this morning some unexpected duties require his presence however narcisse's embarrassment showed that he did not believe in the excuse but rather suspected some one of having so terrified his cousin that the latter was afraid of compromising himself obliging and courageous as Albert himself was this made him indignant still he smiled and resumed listen perhaps there's a means of forcing an entry if your time is your own we can lunch together and then return to visit the museum of antiquities i shall certainly end by coming across my cousin and we may perhaps be lucky enough to meet the pope should he go down to the gardens at the news that his audience was yet again postponed pierre had felt keenly disappointed 
however as the whole day was at his disposal he willingly accepted the attache's offer they lunched in front of st peter's in a little restaurant of the borgo most of whose customers were pilgrims and the fare as it happened was far from good then at about two o'clock they set off for the museum skirting the basilica by way of the piazza della sagrestia it was a bright deserted burning district and again but in a far greater degree did the young priest experience that sensation of bare tawny sun-baked majesty which had come upon him while gazing into the court of san damaso then as he passed the apse of st peter's the enormity of the colossus was brought home to him more strongly than ever it rose like a giant bouquet of architecture edged by empty expanses of pavement sprinkled with fine weeds and in all the silent immensity there were only two children playing in the shadow of a wall the old papal mint the zecca now an italian possession and guarded by soldiers of the royal army is on the left of the passage leading to the museums while on the right just in front is one of the entrances of honour to the vatican where the papal swiss guard keeps watch and ward and this is the entrance by which according to etiquette the pair horse carriages convey the pope's visitors into the court of san damaso following the long lane which ascends between a wing of the palace and its garden wall narcisse and pierre at last reached the museum of antiquities ah what a museum it is with galleries innumerable a museum compounded of three museums the pio clementino the chiaromonti and the braccia nuovo and containing a whole world found beneath the soil then exhumed and now glorified in full sunlight for more than two hours pierre went from one hall to another dazzled by the masterpieces bewildered by the accumulation of genius and beauty it was not only the celebrated examples of statuary the laocoon and the apollo of the cabinets of the belvedere the meleager or even the torso of hercules that astonished him he was yet more impressed by the ensemble by the innumerable quantities of venuses bacchuses and deified emperors and empresses by the whole superb growth of beautiful or august flesh celebrating the immortality of life three days previously he had visited the museum of the capitol where he had admired the venus the dying gaul the marvellous centaurs of black marble and the extraordinary collection of busts but here his admiration became intensified into stupor by the inexhaustible wealth of the galleries and with more curiosity for life than for art perhaps he again lingered before the busts which so powerfully resuscitate the rome of history the rome which whilst incapable of realizing the ideal beauty of greece was certainly well able to create life the emperors the philosophers the learned men the poets are all there and live such as they really were studied and portrayed in all scrupulousness with their deformities their blemishes the slightest peculiarities of their features and from this extreme solicitude for truth springs a wonderful wealth of character and an incomparable vision of the past nothing indeed could be loftier the very men live once more and retrace the history of their city that history which has been so falsified that the teaching of it has caused generations of schoolboys to hold antiquity in horror but on seeing the men how well one understands how fully one can sympathize and indeed the smallest bits of marble the maimed statues the bas-reliefs in fragments even the isolated limbs whether the divine arm of a nymph or the sinewy shaggy thigh of a satyr evoke the splendour of a civilization full of light grandeur and strength end of section eleven